It's just us today. It's just a dad cast today. Just a dad cast. Just programmer, programmer, just, stack Just dads. programmer and noob. Programmer and noob. It's good. Just desperately trying to help each other along in a crazy mixed up world. Nothing's more important than a great customer experience, but sometimes services get disrupted. X Matters helps teams resolve issues fast before they impact customers. Learn why millions trust X Matters to keep their digital services up and running at xmatters.com/stack. All right, Paul, it seems like Sarah and Cassidy were not available today, so I'm just going to ask some questions cuz I'm still poking around in like the very beginning of my coding education. I haven't written a Ben Popper is the worst coder column in a while, but I'm about to restart because they started sticking them in these emails that we send to people who, if you if you just signed up for Stack Overflow and you're a new user, you get an email from us being like, hey, new user, here's some resources, one of which is my column, embarrassing myself. So it's like, you don't know, you're not alone. Look at Ben Popper. Oh, wait, you know, so I'm going to be either. like, I'll just be the living FAQ for this episode? <laughs> yeah, so I'm going to ask you some questions. There's some things I think I understand, like type safety or type systems, but you'll explain it to me. I can't wait to outrage everyone with my basic (laughs) comprehension of type systems. Um, Absolutely. Let's do this. Let's let me answer all of your programming questions in an incredibly authoritative way that everyone will know is the right way. Uh, Perfect. But first I have to ask you one question about keyboard shortcuts and then we'll jump in. All All right, here we go. So, Paul, recently I've been leaning into little keyboard shortcuts. I found there's a few nice ones on GarageBand. And I've been using some as I try to desperately claw my way to inbox zero. Mm. You recently told me that you back up all of your Gmail locally because you're that kind of person. So I'm going to guess you maybe have a few keyboard shortcuts that you use or you designed yourself. Well, okay. First of all, keyboard shortcuts are absolutely the gateway to programming. (laughs) Because they're macros. They're little reproducible units of the computer doing something. And you're like, oh, if I say less, but it does more, that's a good feeling. And that is the absolute true soul essence of engineering. Like, I'm going to do a little bit, and it will will magnify my intent. So, like, my co-founder at Postlight, where I'm the other co-founder, his start was in Windows automation, like when because he mm. was doing legal documents. That's how he got into tech. So right. anyway, congratulations. You're more and more of a programmer. This is part of the path. I think, yeah, this is my mind slowly shifting. <laughs> I'm, I'm being assimilated into the Borg without knowing it. I mean, there's a few things going on. The first is like uh-huh. anything that requires a lot of customization is probably badly designed. <laughs> <laughs> so so that's an unpopular opinion. The second thing is, you know, I had somebody, because I, I use this text editor that's been around for about 30 years now called Emacs. It's probably one of the most customizable pieces of software. It's essentially a programming language that, yeah. that fakes being an editor. And um, they asked me, you know, could I get your configuration file? You should share it. And I realized that about five years ago... Dot .emacs files and configuration files are like a, a huge part of that culture. Like just, whoa, how did you do it? What do you do? What's your setup? And I right. realized about five years ago, I just kind of went with the defaults and erased everything. And like, there's a few things I've set because I use it to read and manage and triage my email. So like yeah. my email address and account information is kind of securely in there. And there's a few other things like that, but it's it's all just incredibly clear personal information. And then I just use the standards for everything. 
and mm -hmm. train my fingers around it. So there's this point where you get, I think, almost to the other side where you go, yeah, no, I don't want to deal with any of that. But it is a 15-year process of customizing your, text, your everything to get it just the way you want it. And then you go, yeah, whatever. I mean, that's the cycle, right? Like, I've been through that where I'm building something up, I'm customizing it a lot, I'm making it order just the way I want because I think I'm getting somewhere. And then you get past that point where you're at the point of clutter and, and, and right, over, overly engineered. And then you say, okay, the only way to solve this problem is to wipe the slate, slate clean and start again. Like, that's, a, that's kind of something you go through, maybe probably in engineering. Also, for me, it's like I'm talking about the way I organize my desk or my house or my documents folder. You you're know what a, I mean? There's a great quote it's attributed to John Wanamaker, the the sort of department store owner. I don't know if it was him or somebody else, but you know, he knows he needs advertising and, and like <laughs> oh, fifty percent yeah. of it works. He just has no idea which fifty percent. Right. Yeah. The tricky thing with tech and, and with programming in general and the way that software development works is you actually don't know if you're solving the problem or not, or just sort of solving around the problem. And so an enormous mm. amount of effort goes into creating a really flawless developer experience where you can be as productive as possible. Right. And there are plenty of arguments that that is the most meaningful thing an engineer can do because then they can build the software more quickly and with more control and more understanding and the documentation is contextual and whatever. And then there's an, also an argument to be made that uh, none of that matters and you should just read two more books. And, and so... <laughs> And I would say at different times in my life, I have powerfully believed both of these things. There's a great book by Rob Pike about programming. He's the person who created Go for Google, but it also mm -hmm. sort of goes back. And, you know, he talks about working with the superstars of engineering at Bell Labs. And basically right. what would work is you'd have a bug and someone would stand behind you. And they'd kind of talk through the bug and then they'd figure it out. And then when right. they wanted to debug, they would print out lots of stuff about what the program was doing and try to figure it out from there. And it wasn't mm. like nothing has changed in <laughs> 50, 60 years. Well, instead of standing behind you, the person is on Twitter and you tweet the problem and then they look at it. They say, put the code over on Stack Overflow and I'll check it out there. So this but is yes. a huge difference, right? Which is that access to very smart people who would explain your problem to you in ways that you might understand used to be an unbelievably rare occurrence because there just wasn't right. that. And so... That is real. Like, I mean, not, you know, we're on the Stack podcast and it's a marketing product for Stack, but Stack has eminently, sometimes it's cut and paste and sometimes it actually democratizes quite a bit of knowledge and insight that otherwise isn't accessible, especially when yeah. you get to like really obscure stuff about how a C compiler works or things like right. that. Or even, yeah, democratize in the sense of making sense. Right. Like it's like, let's say you could do pair programming with anybody who's on the internet at any time of day, right? And yep. somebody can just, yeah, who enjoys looking at code and finding little bugs is around to help. And in exchange for that, they get a little digital rep that's worth it when they apply for a job, right? I mean, that's, the, that's when the system is working at its best. That's right. Speaking of working at its best, Paul, I'll do a little plug since you mentioned this is a marketing podcast. On the 17th of June, so I guess maybe that was like last week on Thursday or Friday, we let folks know we have a new feature saying thanks. It's a reaction feature. So you can give folks a little emoji on the side if you want to say thanks. And I oh, think, you got you know, your rightly, like button. We got our like button. Exactly. And, it, and it's those little things. So I mean, rightly, I think Stack Overflow has been criticized many times for not being welcoming or for, you know, often people sort of within that framework that we're talking about, like, hey, I have a problem. Can you help me solve it? You know, maybe trying to help, but doing what in a, doing so in a way that's a bit rude or a bit curt or whatever. But in this one, we also, you know, there's, there, you know, within all of the examples, we can find hundreds of ones, you know, where people would then get helped 
When you spend hours trying to figure out a coding problem only to post on Stack Overflow and get the solution with three, within three minutes. A big thank you. You know, not somebody posting on, on Twitter or whatever. So now we've got these little emojis in there. And uh, yeah, you know, when you make it easy for people to participate in the community in a positive way by, by for example, including a few positive emojis and no negative ones, you'd be surprised how those little nudges add up. You know what that does too? It's a little bit of a check and balance. So I have a column for Wired Magazine, which you know yeah. I love doing. I do it once a month. And I got, I got a nice piece of reader feedback the other day. And look, I've been doing this for 20 years. So I actually understand reader feedback really well. And it's just somebody, and I'll give you the gist of it. It was just like, I often have trouble with the magazine's tone and style. And <laughs> those issues aside regarding your own piece, I just wanted to let you know that I enjoyed. You know, and you're just like, right. thank you, right? But <laughs> that person is seriously trying to communicate something positive, but they also really right. feel a need to kind of like position themselves as a serious critic of the work and so on. And, and, right. and there, there was a time in my life where I would have thrown that across the room. And now I'm just like, oh, bring it. I enjoy it. Thank you for all the feedback. But what I, yeah. what I would say is like when you're in a community and the, the general default is this kind of like rough, brusque tone, people yeah. freak out. They're just like, oh, my God. And, and you, you really like when you were new at this, because I remember this, I remember like, you know, writing into the XSLT newsletter or the mailing list, trying to get some help on something and getting kind of a, a quick, you know, blast back about how I'd messed up. And right. like, you, you stay awake at night thinking about that. Oh, definitely. Right. Especially when it took so long to correspond. I mean, it's funny, I bought my kids a bunch of old comic books the other day. And one of the things that really blew me away was the length and detail in the reader's mailbox section. And so you would buy a comic book. It would come out once a week or once a month. Then you would spend many, many nights composing your letter and you know sending it in. And then if you got lucky, one time they would write back. And it would be like this experience you would fall asleep thinking about for weeks. It would like fill you with joy. And that's because they went out of their way you know, to be kind. But often they were saying, often the letters were like, I don't get this. Why did this happen this way? Can you explain this to me? Mm-hmm. And they sort of have to walk you through the minutiae of all the issues you missed and the little details you didn't pick up on and hint, hint, check out this reader kind of stuff. Listen, if you talk to somebody over the age of 60, they will tell you that the time <laughs> they got the, the letter published in the paper, they'll remember every time right, somebody right. published their letter to the editor, right? Right. And it's it's Twitter like... Twitter has... Social media has ruined us for this because now you could just say what you want to the whole whenever you want. <laughs> yeah, nobody has... Nobody has been like... I mean, when's the last time you read the letters to the editor page in any publication? It's like buried yeah. on some corner of the website, right? So yeah. everything is letters to the editor, in, including the articles. And... Uh, <laughs> but no, you know, back to it, like mm. those little emoji are a good balance because it's like, oh, wait, how, how do we feel about this? Well, these people are saying these things, but look... 50 people, you know, gave it gave it a, you know, a nice reaction and it gives you a more total portrait of the of the culture which is really important because you need those little signals to understand what people think and feel if they don't have the energy or the wherewithal to respond, right? Like it doesn't yeah. most people who are grateful don't have anything to add. I'm actually that way. Yeah. I use Stack. I rarely I'm a fast follower programmer, so everything I do has already been solved. Like I don't mm-hmm. I I never hit the edges. It's always like, oh yep, that's <laughs> how you do it. And so like gratefulness yeah. gratefulness is great, but there is no easy way to express it. Yeah. I mean I think it's funny in this online card game I play Hearthstone, you know, they limited it at first to five emotes you could do or five or six emotes because they wanted to let you 
say something to the person you're playing with who might, you know, often I see they're from Japan or Korea, like their name is written in a script, you know, characters that are not my alphabet or whatever, but we can emote with each other. Oh, nice play. Right. You know, right. oh, I lost. But there was one emote, which was sorry, which I think might have been initially meant to be like, oh, I, I forgot to end my turn or whatever, but became the troll emote. You know, it was like, yeah, I just did something that made you upset. Sorry. Right, right, right. And so that then became known as the troll emote and eventually they had to take it out. So it's funny, like even when you try to limit the language, you know, when you try to put up like five or six things that are either kind or apologetic or oh, no, it'll know, evolve triumphant, too. it'll evolve. People will find a way to troll. <laughs> Nature finds a way. So I had a question, you know, we've been talking a lot on the podcast about type systems and type safety. Uh-huh. And so again, you know, I'm a total noob, but I love the idea of doing something where it's like, as I'm typing and I'm trying to get my commands right, there's this like auto suggest. And then at the end of every line, you know, before I go to the next thing, it's like, wait, did you mean to leave out this comma? Yep. So can you tell me like, what is a type system and how is that helpful? And then I think I understand type safety being like, there's a limited number of things you can sort of like an auto correct for coding. Well, no, you've, you've mixed a couple things up. So type systems are a very large, abstract, I'd say mathematical slash semi-mathematical area of inquiry, whereby, mm. so a computer doesn't know what a thing is. It knows that a thing might, it knows that there's a lot of light switches turning on and off. So yeah. when you tell it what you want to do, you need to tell it at some level. Is this an integer? Is this a character? Is this a string? Is this a, or is this some weird combination of all of those so (laughs) that, you know, like a database record and, and so on and so forth. So there's all kinds of, so those are your types. An integer is a type. And actually it's going to be probably an 8-bit integer that could be signed or unsigned. Like there, it it gets pretty specific because otherwise, if you don't know what types are, the computer really has no idea what it's doing. You can't give it an A because the computer, as far as it can tell, if you say add A to seven, it -hmm. might mean that that means A A seven as a string, or it might mean that it should go get the numeric value of ASCII A and then add it to the number seven, depending on the context. And so you got to help the thing out. So some languages are very strongly typed, and they they really Mm. are rigid about that. And if you strongly type everything, you can do kind of magic. You can infer a lot of stuff. You can write less code over here. And you can also catch an enormous number of errors when you're compiling the software and say, whoa, don't do that. That'll blow up for you. So there's a great little book I'm working through called The Little Typer. (laughs) <laughs> which is very helpful. It's out this of the, is a children's book or this is uh, it looks like a book. children's book. It is absolutely not a children's book. It's in a <laughs> okay. series. There's a book called the little, um, there's the little lisper, the little schemer. These are like, got it, got they it. teach programming in a very interesting way. It's there's two columns in the book. They're kind of famous, very kind of MIT culture books. So on the left, mm-hmm. it's like it asks a question and then on the right, there's an answer. And so it's this kind of Socratic thing. And so but no, it gets deep into math really quick with types. Now, the things you're talking about with IntelliSense are more about the ability to and it relates, right? It introspects the language as you are writing it and then compares it against like a set of rules and a set of syntactic rules. So right. essentially what it does is it's a, it's a piece of software that runs that is constantly evaluating your text. But, you know, now we have this type system and we know the rules of the language and we know that I can't, if you didn't tell me something, if you told me over here something is an integer, but then mm-hmm. you want to add it to a string and you mm-hmm. didn't actually turn the integer into a string explicitly, we might have a problem. And so it can gotcha, go like, gotcha. put that in red wavy and, and let them know, right? Yeah. So that's, 
that is software inferring rules from the from the type system. And everything I just said, by the way, has probably caused many, many sets of brains to pour out of people's ears. The more advanced <laughs> degrees they have, the more brains have come right. out of their ears. Send um, the mail to podcast yeah. <laughs> at stackoverflow.com or hit them up. F train on Twitter, folks. Hit them up. Type type systems are one of those things that people have been fighting about for 20 or 30 years. Right. So we were talking with Ryan Kavanaugh, uh, who works on the TypeScript team at Microsoft. And I guess, right, what I was trying to understand was he was sort of saying, listen, you know, when you're building a huge application, you know, a 30, 40, 50,000 line application, I just feel like this kind of type system, this kind of type safety is going to end up paying dividends, especially if there's a lot of people working on it together and you can't have things break because you have something, you know, live for, you know, lots and lots of users. But he was saying, if it's not for you, it's not for you. And I find, you know, people who work in Python and, and in, in mathematical modes often aren't interested in it. So what's the flip side? Like, is it more creativity or more flexibility when you don't have the, the type system type safety? Like, what are you giving up in exchange for that st those structures? Well, look, there's a lot of different ways to programming. So type safety means that if I say something's an integer over here and you say, and you expect it to behave like a string over here, and it's much more complicated than that, but that the computer will go, whoa, hey, what are you guys doing? And that is very mm -hmm. useful. Hey, folks, it seems like you don't really know what you're thinking about here, <laughs> right. right? Because multiple people are interacting with the same kind of objects. And objects in this right. case could be a user record or a window that pops up or your login screen. And so it's like, more than one person is touching it and having rules about that and having the computer enforce those rules can be really, really helpful. But there are trade-offs there. It's a slow compile time. There's other stuff mm. that, that comes uh, as a trade-off. But in general, like at our company, TypeScript has taken over. Like it is absolutely, yeah. it's, it's a good baseline for any, pr any project involving lots of people. Mm. Dynamic typing, sometimes they call it duck typing, is just more fluid. This is an endless, one of those endless arguments that no one wins. Mm. <laughs> JavaScript is very fluid that way. Look, the, the wonderful thing about Python is, is the nice thing about dynamic typing is that it creates a more interactive programming environment. And like one of the pure examples of there would be like Lisp, where you can go in and you're just kind of, you're, you write a little Lisp in the, in the REPL, in the read eval print loop, and you just kind of like put that code in there and, and evaluate it, and then you mess with your functions and you rewrite them. The same can be true of, of uh, object-oriented environments like Smalltalk. Like, if you see your program as a set of objects or functions that are kind of all playing with each other and you want to get in and mess around with them and you don't necessarily, you know, are you willing to let things break a little bit in the interest of figuring out what you're doing? That, that's right. sort of the big trade-off. If you know what you're doing, you're probably, and you have like a, a set of core business requirements and a large team working on it, type safety is proven over and over again to be kind of a big part of the discipline of software in the large. Mm. If you are playing mm. and exploring, dynamic typing is great. Yeah, I like that. that no, that makes total sense. It's like, look, if you want to sit down and sketch out your vision for a house, just have fun with it and like let your imagination flow and like see what you come up with when it's time to do the engineering blueprint so that nothing falls down let's put some rules and some structure in place and like some guardrails right this is a great example right like don't improvise type safety is like i'm going to get the same kind of brick and i'm going to make sure that the pvc piping is all of the you know and that everything right. is iso certified right like that's right. measure twice cut once yeah that's great, because you want that in a house. You don't want the house yeah. to fall down because somebody was like, we don't need PVC piping. We can, we can, <laughs> you know, just use a struct. Yeah. So, like, that part is, that, that's a good analogy. The only, yeah. the, the tricky thing for me is, like, 
We tend to undervalue the quality of play and exploration and its teaching mm. value. As This mm. actually goes back to what we were talking about earlier, where like when you can get in and fool around with a live system and see how it's reacting and it can tell right. you what it thinks you're trying to do and there's yeah. that feedback loop, it doesn't just help you get work done faster. It helps you understand the computer. And mm. that is a really attractive, interesting thing when you can introspect right. and look at the whole system. It's one of the things I love about the web is you can inspect the element and then you can keep going deeper and deeper and deeper. All right, great. Uh, we chatted a little bit last week on the podcast with Cassidy and Sarah about Hey. hey. Uh, a new version of Hey was approved this week by Apple leading up to WWDC. And I don't think you and I necessarily need to weigh in strongly with our opinion, except to say that this is clearly an issue that has provoked strong emotions in the software development community, and I think will be closely watched. So it'll be interesting to see what comes out of WWDC today, whether or not they make any mention of it, or you know whether or not they have some things to say about the App Store and its relationship to the software developers who make all the good stuff that you can buy there. And yeah, maybe maybe next week after we, we learn a little bit more, we'll talk about it. But if folks have thoughts do send them to podcast at stackoverflow.com. I'd like to hear from our listeners about what they want to hear on this if y'all are interested. Heck yeah. All right, so yeah, let's uh, read a lifeboat or if you see something on the hot network questions you, you just have to shout out, let me know. All right, well, let me take a look. How to prevent people from creating manipulative AI nanobots. <laughs> well, you want yeah. to write that one? Oh yeah, yeah that's a good one. <laughs> Look, and, yeah. and the, the first answer that's got five upvotes is 3D printing a nanobot is more than just hitting print. You need the right hardware. And it kind of goes from there. World building might be my favorite. World building. It's the best. <laughs> it's the best. It's so I, good. I, I, we actually have to kind of disqualify it because you could always just go to world building. Like you have to look around. You have to get other choices from other exchanges because world building is always the best. Yeah. It just They just kill it because it's all about just ridiculous situations yeah you know and then the ones that are kind of superhero-y or star wars-y like less exciting and then yeah. um, oh here's one that i don't even want to go into why does germany <laughs> have a rather small defense budget <laughs> hmm. there's a bit of history there actually <laughs> I, I wonder how that could have happened <laughs> what exchange is that on that is on politics, beta. Yes, it is a bit political. Ooh. All right. So from our Lifeboats of the Week, awarded two days ago to Poseidon or Poseidon, count the number of elements in a string separated by a comma. Thanks, Poseidon. And shout out to you at 151K rep. You've obviously answered a lot of questions. All right, everybody. WWDC is today. If you're listening to this later this week, that means we aired our episode with Robin in. They had their awesome event, so be sure to go and check that out. You can find that uh, a little bit more about that on our blog. All right, my friend, thank you for being here. I would have had to do it by myself. That that might have been weird for 20 minutes. <laughs> I'm glad to answer but, yeah. the questions, and I, I look forward to the clarifications from the audience. We're trying to get more audience participation, so the best way to do that is to make them enraged at us. Oh, sigh. Sigh. All right, everybody. Thanks so much for listening. I'm Ben Popper, Director of Content here at Stack Overflow. And if you want to find me online and chat, I'm at Ben Popper on Twitter. I'm Paul Ford, co-founder of Postlay. We bring strategy, design, and engineering to deliver platforms and experiences that drive digital transformation. Check us out at postlight.com.